We've been in this series called Abide, and in this series on abiding, abiding is a word that simply means staying close to Jesus. It's translated in different ways in different translations of the Bible, but it's the idea of remaining, dwelling, abiding, living, saturating, marinating. And Dave did a great job last week of talking about how abiding is kind of this paradox of what we would say positional and active. It's both. It's kind of confusing, right? But abiding is simply staying close to Jesus. And so we've been unpacking what this means. And today we want to talk about abiding as fasting. Now there's a sense in which all abiding is fasting on some level. Matter of fact, there's a sense in which all of the Christian life is fasting on some level. When you choose not to sin, you're fasting that sin to choose the appropriate course of action. The fact that you're even here today is a type of fasting because you're choosing not to spend your time doing something else so that you can spend your time here with the family of God, seeking him, right? So much of the Christian life broadly is actually a type of fasting, but that's not the kind of fasting we're primarily talking about today, and it's not the kind of fasting that probably comes to your mind when you first hear the word. Now, when it comes to biblical fasting, not Swedish intermittent fasting, like it says on your YouTube ads, okay? When it comes to biblical fasting, for most people, Matthew 4.2 summarizes what we know. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And that pretty much summarizes our understanding of fasting. And you know this is true because when people talk about fasting, it normally points to kind of faulty views. So, for example, fasting is about twisting God's arm. Like, I want this, and so I'm going to fast, and then God's going to be like, oh, you got me, right? Or it's a diet for Jesus. Like, that was made super popular a couple years ago um, when Rick Warren's church popularized the Daniel fast, right? And they're like, we're going to conquer obesity with the Daniel fast. Well, it's like if your goal is conquering obesity, it kind of ceases to be a fast, Right? Bonus points with God. So that's like the Coptic church. I think someone told me they fast like 120 days a year or something like that. And so that's this ritualistic, I'm earning favor. Um, And then for most of us in the Northeast, our understanding of fasting is that you look religious. Like I, so I grew up in a town that was basically entirely Roman Catholic. And so on Fat Tuesday, what do you do? You gorge yourself. And then on Ash Wednesday... You come in, and it's like, and it could be the guy who the rest of the year was the class clown, but on Ash Wednesday, he's the most somber dude you've ever met in your life, right? He comes into the high school, right? <laughs> right? I mean, we know this. And so for the, most of us, this is our understanding of fasting. And for many people, um, it's really not spiritual at all. It's just about health. Now, fasting is not commanded in the New Testament but it's assumed. Jesus says, when you fast. It's assumed that we're going to fast. And most of us don't fast, and even fewer probably do it with the right reasons and the right intentions. So let's go real basic. What is fasting? What is fasting? Fasting is defined in individual choice to abstain from food, drink, or other fleshly gratifying things for a period of time in order to seek God. It's giving up food, it's giving up drink, or the Bible even talks about other fleshly gratifying things 
in order to seek God. So if you want to put it in a different way, fasting is a way to turn down the noise of the world so that we can better focus on the voice of God. Fasting helps us let go of the things of the world and grab onto Jesus. So it's not so much about, well, I'm getting rid of this. It's about I'm taking hold of this. And this is why fasting helps us to abide better because it focuses us on Jesus. Now, there's two main temptations with fasting, and I want to mention them right up front. Temptation number one, fasting is not, is not a religious obligation to fulfill. All right? Fasting is not a religious obligation to fulfill. In other words, it's not I'm fasting carbs for Jesus. Instead, it's I'm seeking to turn to Jesus for my joy instead of turning to carbs, okay? We tend to get it backwards. So that's, that's faulty view number one. And the, nether, the other big uh, mistake is that it's also not paganistic arm wrestling, like I mentioned before. We're not manipulating God through self-denial or through our sacrifice. That's what the pagans did, right? That's what the pagan religions of old did, and that's not what we're doing. So why do we fast? I want to give you three reasons that are actually kind of all the same reason, but I'm going to give you three slash, it's like the Trinity, the Trinity of reasons, three in one, okay? Reason number one, fasting reveals and declares war on the idols. Those are idols are things that you worship instead of God. Fasting reveals your idols and declares war on your idols, which are the things that are choking out your spiritual growth and intimacy with God. So the number one, the first reason you fast is because it reveals your idols and it declares war on your idols. And uh, we talked two weeks ago about the parable of the sower, which we're not going to read now. But as Jesus is talking about the third soil, he says, the third type of people are the ones where the seed of the word of God landed on their heart, but then there's all these distractions and those choke them out. He says, and others are the ones sown among thorns, the word of God sown among thorns, and those are the people who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things chokes the word, and so it proves unfruitful, and they never mature. So this is what I want you to realize. The things of the world, already you guys are distracted. You want David to come up and do more stand-up? Is that what this is about? I see everybody's like, Okay. The things of the world stand as your enemy. The regular stuff of life stands as your enemy. It wants to steal your joy. It wants to rob your contentment. And it wants to do everything in its power to have you not go to Jesus for your satisfaction and sufficiency. It wants you to go to other things instead. The pleasures of life, the desires for other things. These are the things that Jesus says in John chapter 3 are the things which make us immature. It's the basic things of life. These are not evil things. These are gifts, right? Having a nice home is a gift of God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Having a family is a gift from God. These are your basic meat and potatoes, coffee, gardening, reading, decorating, traveling, investing, watching TV, surfing the internet, shopping, exercising, enjoying your hobbies, talking with friends. This is the stuff Jesus is talking about. He's saying these are good gifts and all of them can become a deadly substitute 
for God. Now, I love going out to eat. Does anybody else love going out to eat? We love going out to eat. I mean, we can't afford it anymore, but we love going out to eat. But my favorite part of the meal is the appetizers. Who else would rather just eat appetizers than entrees, right? That's my people. So last night we went to Duffer's because it seems like a really good idea when you have to preach on Sunday. And um, I didn't even get an entree because I knew the kids were getting ice cream, which meant I had to finish the ice cream. And so I just got appetizers. Appetizers and ice cream. That's all I wanted. And so when we get appetizers, this is what we do. We order them, we eat them, and then we're too full to enjoy the main course, right? So we spend $40 on a piece of steak, and we filled up on waffle fries, right? And then we don't even enjoy our steak, which we then need to microwave the next day, and then it's overcooked. That's what we do. You see, the greatest enemy of our hunger for God, enjoying the main course, is not poison, it's appetizers. It's all of the other stuff that we, that we fill up on. And much of this sermon, by the way, is taken from a book called Hunger for God by John Piper. Um, you could probably read it in four or five hours or less. Um, great book, all about fasting. But this is one of the things that John Piper says in that book. He says, it's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. So it's not the big temptation. You see, if you think about it in your own life, the big temptation for most people is not some heinous, socially abhorrent sin. For most people, and I'm not trying to diminish those who have addictive um, personalities or addiction in their past, but for the average person in this room, if you're in the parking lot and someone rolls up and says, I want to sell you heroin, you're probably going to be like, no, for most people. See, for most of us, that is not the big issue in our lives. What is the big issue that distracts us is the eat, drink, and be merry reality of the day. Can we understand that? Right? It's making sure our kids have stuff to do, making sure the lawn is mowed, and all those kinds of things. It's not what you look at while nobody's watching that primarily undermines your life, but it's the mindless dripping of triviality which we continue to consume hundreds of times during the day. That's the stuff that really chokes out our love. See, fasting is an excellent way to identify your idols, to show you these are the things I turn to instead of turning to Jesus. So what are some common things that we turn to? Uh, Let's see, we turn to food, processed sugar, meat, fast food, coffee, soda, alcohol, we turn to these sorts of things. We tend to turn to entertainment, podcasts, books, music, sports, video games, television, social media. We tend to turn to social activities, shopping, dating, going out to eat, things like that. And so if you look on the back of your lyric sheet, there's another self-evaluation for you to fill out related to fasting. And one of the questions I'm going to want you to wrestle with is, what should I fast? Because I'll be honest with you, I don't have social media. And so it wouldn't be hard for me to fast social media. 
It also wouldn't be a good idea for me to say, I'm only going to eat salads for three weeks. The reason why is I know my motivation wouldn't be to see God. It would be to get ready for next spring's baptism season. You know what I'm saying? All right. And so we have to make sure we're fasting the right things. And so how do you know what to give up? Well, it's the thing you don't want to give up. Right. So if you say something like, oh, I would much rather do a Daniel fast than not use my phone during the day. Well, there's your answer. It's much more difficult to say, I'm going to leave my phone in my car while I'm at work than to say, I'm not going to eat meat for a lot of people. Maybe for some of you, you'd say, how dare you? I'm a carnivore. The point is this. With all of these things, we love the gift over the giver. And fasting helps you refocus not on the gift, the good thing that God has given you, but the one who gave it. And so it helps us to let go of those things so that we can not necessarily rip them from our lives forever, but so that we can focus on God for an allotted period of time. See, God gives us these things to enjoy, but they all have the potential to become distractions and idols in our life. These are the things that we go to for comfort when we're upset. They're the things that we go to for peace when we're scared. These are the things that we say in our head, even if everything falls apart, at least I have fill in the blank. And if you have those addictions, which many of us have or have had in our lives, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you probably have even said those things. Well, even if everything falls apart, at least I got my family. Can't fast your family. That's hard to do. Fasting reveals what you love. It reveals where you find your contentment. It reveals where you find your satisfaction. And from there, we're able to bring those things to the cross. Reason number two, fasting shows us how content we are without Christ. Fasting shows us how content we are without Christ. In Luke 5, 33 to 35, this is what they said to him. They being they. They said to him, the Pharisees, the disciples of John fast often and they offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours just sit around and eat and drink. And Jesus said, can you make wedding guests fast while they're at the wedding? And he said, the days will come when the bridegroom, that's the groom, is taken away and then they will fast. You see, Fasting is important, but how do you know if you need to fast? How do you know if you need to fast? The question is really, how do you know if you found contentment in Christ or in things? See, fasting is not about religion, but fasting is about remembrance. It's about anticipation. He's saying they used to fast because they were anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. But once the Messiah was there, it was time for celebration. They just wanted to to hang out with Jesus, and they wanted to drink wine and eat figs and, and, and potato latkes and all those kinds of things. And he says, one day I'm going to be gone, and then they're going to fast again because they're going to be looking forward to the time when I come back. Matter of fact, even Jesus is fasting. He said, I will not drink wine again until I have it at the marriage supper of the Lamb when Jesus marries the church. And so even Jesus, Jesus is laying something aside so he can't anticipate his union with us. That's what fasting is. 
maybe practically we know what this looks like when our loved ones are awaiting news, right? Medical news, whether or not they have cancer or not. And we have no appetite, not because we're choosing not to eat, but because our minds are so fixated on what? We can't wait to get the news. That's truer fasting than, well, I'm just not going to eat until I hear. It's you lose your appetite because you're focused on something else. Because his disciples would be desperate for him, hungry for him, dissatisfied without him, that's why they would fast. Having tasted the glory of God like they did, how could they be satisfied without him? And so the question is this, how do you know if you should fast? We're going we're gonna to encourage the entire church to fast in September for a period of time, which I'll explain in a couple minutes. But how do you know if you should fast? Well, the absence of fasting in your life, in my life, let's be honest, the absence of fasting in our lives reveals our contentment with the absence of Christ. If we are not regularly fasting, it shows us that we are content with the status quo of our spiritual health and the fact that Jesus has yet to return. Just as those who don't read the word don't have a deeper understanding of him or a desire to know him, and just as those who don't pray are rebellious and proud and spiritually independent, those who don't fast are content with all of their trinkets instead of Christ. And I say that to myself as well. So the second reason we fast is because it shows us how content we are with everything else, with the gift over the giver. And this is the third reason we fast. The third reason we fast is to find our satisfaction in intimacy with God. In Revelation chapter 3, we read, or in 2 and 3, we read about seven churches in Asia Minor. That's like modern-day Turkey. And how Jesus is writing these churches and he's warning them and he's saying, you're doing great in this area, but I have this against you. And if you don't clean it up and repent, I'm going to remove your church. And the final church that he writes is the church of Laodicea. And this is what he writes to Laodicea. He says, now I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Oh, I wish that you were either cold or hot because you are lukewarm you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. Um, you know, I was in Laodicea. When I was in seminary, we had an option, instead of taking a semester-long church history class, we could go to the seven churches in Asia Minor and we could do that for two weeks, and you had to write and read and all, write and read and all that kind of stuff about it. And so I was in Laodicea, or what remains of Laodicea. And this is the funny thing about Laodicea, is there's a place about maybe like a 20-minute walk from Laodicea called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was this beautiful place. And it was really unique because... When you look at the mountain, the mountain was totally white because of the content of the stone, which escapes me now. I'm sure one of you guys knows what it is, okay? But what else made Heropolis unique is Heropolis had natural hot springs. 
And so even to this day, you can go to Heropolis and you can pay some money and you go to these hot springs and you can have like some Turkish delight and a Turkish coffee and you get all like amped up on caffeine and then you can get in the hot spring. And people believe that it has healing powers and so on and so forth. And that's why we charge $45 a day. And, and so you guys know the drill. Maybe some of you guys have been to hot springs before. So loud to say it was a super rich town. Only about a 20-minute walk from Heropolis. And so, loud to say, uh, they were known for their export of healing things, including eye ointment, among other things. They had, like, these silks they made. And loud to say, it was like, we're awesome, and we have an idea. And what their idea was, let's make a clay pipe that goes from Heropolis to Laodicea. And we'll have hot springs in the center of town because nobody's got time to walk 20 minutes. Let's, I want to go to the center of town and I want to sit in the community hot tub with my bros, right? That's what they wanted to do. And so for those of you who have seen Roman um, architecture and ruins, it's quite remarkable, really. I mean, in Ephesus, they had a fully functional water system and sewers and everything, and they did it. They actually ran a clay piping that was maybe about five or six inches underground from Heropolis to Laodicea, and they had this giant ceremony to turn it on so they could have their hot spring hot tub in the center of town for all the Laodiceans to hang out. And lo and behold, guess what they found after the hot water traveled 20 minutes it was lukewarm. And this is what Jesus says. I wish you were hot or cold. If it was hot, it would be nice. If it was cold, it would be refreshing. But instead, you're lukewarm. Man, what a sting. And he says, you're neither hot nor cold, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And he says, you think you're rich. You think you're prosperous. You think you don't need anything because you have this life. You have this government. You have your exports. You have your money. And he says, I tell you, you're naked and blind a direct insult to the two things they exported. You know, I think in the West, we are very close to Laodicea. I think we're very close to Laodicea. We say, well, I'm hot for Jesus. Well, maybe compared to that guy. No, but as a culture, we're much more lukewarm. And I ask myself, why are we this way? And I think part of it is perhaps because we've lost our hunger for God. I think like we don't need to trust in God for a, a sprained ankle. We don't need to worry about this, that, or the other thing because we have everything we need right in front of us. When David and I were in Germany, we met a man who was a refugee. He was a refugee. He's now a German. He married to a German. And he was 11 years old when the Rwandan genocide happened. Maybe many of you guys have seen Hotel Rwanda. And his situation was his mom and dad were from the two different tribes. So everybody wanted to kill them. And so he told us when he was 11, walking to Tanzania to go to the refugee camp, just walking by thousands of deceased, executed people, and then getting to the refugee camp and realizing you couldn't turn either way to say, well, I'm going to... I'm going to go over with this group of people or that group of people because both of them wanted you dead. And he said, and I was 11 and we were Christian as a family, but I started praying the Lord's Prayer 
you know, give me today my daily bread. And he said, and I realized for the first time ever, if God didn't supernaturally provide daily bread, we would not eat. And then he said, and I prayed, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And he said, and here I am looking at the tent behind us, realizing that guy might kill us tonight. He definitely killed my cousins and I have to forgive him. You see, for us, we don't understand that kind of raw, supernatural empowerment for everyday life. Because if I don't have bread, I can get government assistance. And if someone killed my cousin, he's going to go to jail and maybe get the death penalty. And so it's a lot easier to forgive him when he's not right next to me and might kill me that night. So much of the things in our life that we should turn to Jesus for have been taken care of by our culture. And so we don't really have the same hunger for God that we would if we were in a different situation. It's not our fault, right? We, it's not like we chose to be born here versus somewhere else. And every good and perfect gift is from above, so we should count ourselves blessed. But... Perhaps part of the reason we don't hunger for God is we've lost this discipline of fasting. Not to lose weight, not to be religious, not to earn favor with God, because Jesus did that on the cross, not to impress people, but to find satisfaction in Jesus instead of in something else. And maybe this is why we feel dull and powerless and content with the things of the world instead of having a godly dissatisfaction Maybe this is why we don't feel the need to do this, that, or the other thing because we found our contentment elsewhere. As John Piper says in that book I mentioned, fasting is a periodic and sometimes decisive declaration that we would rather feast at God's table in the kingdom of heaven than feed on the finest delicacies of the world. Fasting gives you a greater hunger for God is the point. All right, let's pull this together. In Matthew 5, 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me ask you a question. Honestly, do you feel satisfied? I mean, really, how many of us would say, I feel satisfied? Very few. And if you do feel satisfied today, you probably won't this afternoon, right? Jesus tells us that if we are not satisfied, the problem is what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And so Jesus says directly, if you're not satisfied, it's because you're hungering and thirsting for the wrong things. Because there's a promise right here that if you hunger and thirst for the right things, you will be satisfied. I think part of the problem is we crave the wrong things. The weakness of our hunger for God is not because he's not delightful, but because we are stuffed with everything else. That's why we fast. All right, so let's summarize fasting and talk about the rest of September. One, fasting is an individual choice to abstain from food, drink, or other fleshly, enjoyable things for a period of time so that we can turn down the noise on those things and hear God more clearly. It's not about a religious requirement or about magical manipulation. 
So why should you fast? Well, fasting reminds us that we are not just physical beings, but we are spiritual beings. And so we set aside physical comfort for a time so that we can get the nourishment that only God gives and brings. All right. When should I fast? You should fast when you need revival, when you need change, when you need deliverance in times of spiritual drought, when you feel like there's spiritual darkness, when there's confusion, when you need clarity and direction, when you need divine intervention, when you need breakthrough in your life, when you need healing of any kind, and most importantly, when you desire closeness and intimacy with God. So you probably can find a reason in there. What do I fast? It's often most stretching to your faith. And this stuff is all on the back of your sheet, by the way. It's most stretching to your faith and to intimacy with the Lord if you fast something that you hold on to tightly. Because fasting identifies your idols. And so some examples, sugar, meat, fast food, coffee, soda, alcohol, podcasts, music, sports, video games, television, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, shopping, dating, the news, so on and so on and so on going to fast something from there. It doesn't have to be food. For some of you, you'd rather fast food than Facebook, all right? Fast something that you don't want to give up. That's the point. So what types of fasts are there? There's a major fast. That's like 24 consecutive hours of no food. There's minor fasts. That would be like, I'm going to fast during lunch, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or I'm going to fast from breakfast until dinner, and then I'm going to break my fast at dinner, that sort of thing. And I'm going to drink liquids, but I'm not going to eat food. There's a partial fast where you say, I'm going to eliminate processed foods, or I'm going to eliminate meat, or I'm going to eliminate coffee, uh, right? These kinds of ideas. And then there's what you could call a soul fast, and that's if you fast from other things besides food, right? And there's even, in 1 Corinthians, it even talks about fasting intimacy with your spouse. So you speak, seek the Lord together instead. All the husbands are like, Bill, what is your... <laughs> but we fast social media, television, shopping. We fast other things instead of food or drink. And so on the back of your sheet, there's a sample fast day. If you don't have that sheet, it's on the lyric sheet. A sample fast day that what it could look like. But this is what I want to challenge you guys in. From September 11th, which is next Sunday, so maybe like actually, right? Is that next Sunday? Um, September 11th, which is next Sunday. So maybe beginning the 12th, right? Or something like that, or that evening, whatever it might be. Through the 25th, which is the day we go to Lower Cape May Regional, I want you and your family to prayerfully discuss Look at that piece of paper and ask God, what should I fast? Why should I fast? How should I fast? When should I fast? Don't just be, don't just on the car ride home be like, let's, you know, let's give up. No, like talk about it. Pray about it. Seek the Lord about what you should give up. And then share with your best friends so they can say to you, bro, you should be giving up TikTok, right? Or whatever it might be. I want you to fast from the 11th to the 25th. That could be daily for some of you. It could be one day a week for some of you. It could be two times a week for some of you. It's going to vary from person to person. I'm not telling everybody to do the same thing. But I want you to fill out that sheet or download it later and look at it so that you can ask God what you should be doing. 
And what are we praying for? Well, whatever the Lord leads you to pray for as a family, but also be praying for deeper intimacy with God for Revolve. So many times over the years, I've said, I feel like Revolve has all of the pieces that it needs. We've used this analogy before. It's like a sailboat that the trimming is set, everything is ready to go, but we're just waiting for the Holy Spirit to blow that wind. We have no power to control that. We can set up all of the things, but the Holy Spirit has to move. And so we want to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in us as we grow in our intimacy, as we cast aside our idols. We want to pray that God's power would move in the county, not just through Revolve, but through all of the Christians in the county. We want to pray that the churches in Cape May County would see revival, that they would grow and get healthy. We want to pray that we would see numerous salvations and baptisms this coming year. This is what we want to see. And we can have all of the tools, and we can have all of the strategies, and we can have all of the pieces in place. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't move, it doesn't matter. And so that's what we want to seek God. We want to pray that, God, we're desperate for you. And so pray through these things and come up with a plan for your family. Share them with your DG. Share them with your friends. Don't share it on Facebook. Oh, DG, thank you, is a discipleship group. You know, you're, maybe you have a group of people who you gather with for prayer or Bible study or encouragement, whether it's official or unofficial. But we want this year, this school year, and then into the summer, right? We want to, like, start gearing up for next summer now. Let this be a year of rich abiding where we develop a hunger for God, we find satisfaction in Him, and we're content with him, and we don't need all the other things. We're not constant curmudgeons and grouches because we are finding our joy in Jesus, okay? Let me pray. Father God, I pray for this church, for your church, your people. Lord, uh, give us a hunger for you. We confess that we really like other stuff. Lord, we confess that we love everything from Sizzlies to Netflix but we need to find our joy in you. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us your ways. Not just, don't just show us what to do. Teach us how to do it. Show us how to live your way. I pray that you would speak to our families. Show us what our unique families should be casting aside so we can seek you more. And not just seek you, but find you. You say, ask, seek, knock. You ask, the door will be, you will have answers. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. God, we pray that you would do that, that you would give us the fullness of your spirit as we do these things, because we want more of you. We are not content with our current status quo. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know what to do. In your name we pray, amen.